They're cutting out. Can you repeat that? Go for production. Go for production. I said go for production. Production. That's right. You're listening to a podcast about TV and film production. Join us as we converse with industry leaders and gain insight into their strategies, their systems, and best practices in bringing a script to life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Brendan Riley. My name is Brandon Riley, your host today, and our guest on this episode is Jason Roberts. Jason is a member of the DGA and works as a UPM, first AD, second AD, and has worked on some very well-known TV shows and movies. I'll list a few of these, The Orville, Downsizing, American Made, Transformers The Last Night, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Jurassic World, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Too Fast, Too Furious, Collateral, and the list goes on. That's quite a resume. You're dating me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Jason also started out in the film industry working as a production assistant before joining the DGA trainee program where he was fast-tracked onto these large sets. Um, Anything else you'd like to mention about your past work experience? Well, I'm from Los Angeles. I was born and raised out there. And uh, being in Los Angeles growing up, you're around the business, at least peripherally. You know, you're always around it because that's what uh, is in Los Angeles and why all those wonderful people head there uh, to get into it. So uh, I didn't have anyone in in my family in the business, but I was a very tenacious young kid. and, uh, And I always knew I wanted to do something within it. So... At a very young age, I started uh, trying to figure out how I was going to get in it, and I dabbled in writing, and uh, while I was in high school, I was taking UCLA extension classes in script writing and television writing, and uh, I was looking for internships, so while I was in high school, I'd work as a, I guess, an intern on independent films in the office as an office PA, and uh, and I found a few mentors along the way who kind of guided me, because I didn't know at that point that I wanted to be an assistant director or producer or UPM or, or where I've ended up um, at this point in my career. But uh, being a production assistant and an intern, you get a, a, an opportunity to watch all the different departments uh, you know, work and determine what you like best about each one and what you don't like about it. And, I, and after uh, not very long while, a short while, I determined that uh, those first ADs uh, were very interesting uh, people who were at the hub in the center of all the activity, and that appealed to me. So I centered my energies in that direction and ended up, uh, be prior to getting the Directors Guild uh, training program, which was a class of 93, um, I worked as an assistant to Richard Donner for several years. I was an assistant to uh, Joel Silver for a short while. I was an assistant to some actors like John Ritter and Jamie Lee Curtis and oh, wow. uh, a lot of different people uh, uh, and Albert Brooks uh, on, the, on the way up. And then when I got into the program, uh, all my energies were centered on uh, actual uh, on-set assistant directing production work. You know, in, in a lot of colleges, they don't really talk about ADs that much, it seems like, in film schools. It's not called the uh, Assistant Directors Guild. <laughs> it's called the Directors Guild. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's funny because the uh, DGA trainee program is a joint program between the uh, Producers Guild and the Directors Guild, and they actually recruit at colleges and and have to explain to people what it is that we do because, you know, most people uh, that are not in the business or, or, you know, maybe not uh, 
uh, as interested or involved in films past seeing them uh, don't stay for the credits and they're the kind of people always ask what's the best boy you know and that and the, they defaults into that sort of thing too who what, is that an assistant to the director do they get the coffee you know that's <laughs> they don't know you know I, my, my own folks d had no idea what I was doing until uh, until I tried to explain it to them and take them to the set and show them and uh, you know I, I don't know if they still get it or not but uh, you know they, they certainly appreciate uh, the career I've had <laughs> Yeah, my parents are always like, so you're a director? I'm like, no, Mom, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I tell them to go watch, like, State in Maine, uh, the David Mamet uh, movie, you know, with the AD that's in the movie. Oh, yeah. Know, or something like that, you know, or The Player or something, you know. Or Swimming with Sharks. Well, I, I was intimately involved with that uh, movie because George, uh, the director of that, and I were assistants together for, over at Silver Pictures uh, oh, wow. before he went off and did that. <laughs> So I see all these movies with Tom Cruise. So talk about that. Uh, well, I don't always get to. I don't always get to choose my my films. Uh, you know, sometimes at, in those instances, uh, the last couple of Tom Cruise pictures uh, that I've been involved with, I was working as the key second assistant director, and uh, I'm hired primarily by the first assistant director, who's the one who gets the movies, who's hired by the producers, the director, or and so on. So. Uh, you know, I never know who's going to be in it half the time, <laughs> you know, at that at certain points in my career. I guess I, I've been able to mold my career a little bit more now, but uh, I've worked with a couple of different ADs who have worked, you know, on, on movies that, uh, that that Tom is in. And, and I, uh, you know, he's a, he's a lovely guy. He's actually one of my favorite people to work with. He's a, uh, his work ethic is probably tops bar none. I mean, he's a guy who gives 100%, 100% of the time, and you have to always be on your A game on doing these kind of shows with him, uh, as evidenced by the kind of movies that he does with the, you know, big action sequences or big complicated, um, you know, logistical variables traveling around the world on these different locations or, or using equipment that you haven't used before or trying to figure out how to, you know, whatever it is, you know, uh, on, on the Mission Impossibles, it's, you know, scaling a building. And in the, uh, you know, American Made, uh, it was flying planes. And he's a pilot himself, you know. So there is a, there's always a learning curve. But I, I will say he, um, he always shows up ready. He always is, uh, he's about as professional as I've ever worked with. So, and he's, and he's a super nice guy. And so uh, I, I've quite enjoyed uh, uh, working on his movies. I, I would, I would work on his movies Till you know, till I can't work on movies anymore. Except I couldn't do two in a row. <laughs> I needed a break in between because he is just like it's pretty relentless in a good way. But it's just like the focus is is rehearsal, rehearsal, you know, test, test, shoot, you know, go back and do it again. You know, whatever it, whatever we're doing, it's just nonstop, which is which is fun and good. It keeps you on your toes. But it wears you out. Yeah, it can because uh, you know an AD has to have a lot of endurance and stamina. It's a it's a very physical job. It's a it's a managerial job. It's a creative job, but it's definitely physical. I mean, some of the shows I've done, you know, I've been in the jungles of Colombia, I've been in the jungles of Cambodia, I've been in the jungles of India. Uh, I've been in, you know, the ghettos of, you know, some places in the Middle East. I've, you know, it, it ranges from, you know, place to place. But the hours, you know, as a second AD, you're working, you know, 17, 18 hour days. As a first AD, you're probably working about 14 or 15 hour days, uh, depending on, you know, how much, you know, time you dedicate before and after your shooting each day. And um, you have to have uh, an endurance. It's a long, it's a long race. It's not a short sprint. So you know, if you everyone wears those, uh, you know, not Fitbits, but the pedometers, you know, like that are on your phone, the like the iPhone ones that keep track of your steps. And uh, I remember 
on a, on a couple of those where, you know, I was having some competitions with some of the guys on my team to see <laughs> at the end of the day who had the most steps, you know, and whoever had the most steps, uh, you know, they got the, you know, at the, on the weekend, they got the free drinks, but, uh, you know, we were, we're putting in anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40,000 steps a day, you know, which, uh, you know, equates to, you know, uh, you know, 12 to, you know, 17 miles a day, every day on your feet. So it's not, it, you're not sitting around, you know, you're moving. And I guess every show has its different logistics. Cause I've done a half hour single camera comedy in Los Angeles, a thing for ABC called Better Off Ted a few years ago. And we were all on the LA Center Studios filming. And I didn't, I still put on about, you know, 10,000 steps or 12,000 steps a day, but it's not the same as when you're on one of those big action oriented kind of movies where you're moving around all the time and it's a uh, nonstop. Interesting. So g- going back to Tom real quick, is there anything that you have to think about when you're working with a high caliber actor like him that you, you may not have to regularly? No, I mean, you know, I treat everybody the same. So it could be, you know, um, him or it could be Betty White. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. a, a name on the top of my head. It, it, I, I treat everyone with respect and I, and I respect everybody's process. You know, the actors... And he's a producer too, so he he and he knows the mechanics of, the, of making the, every movie that we've done inside and out. Also, so he's not one to, um, you know, waste any time or any energy that doesn't move the production forward himself. I mean, I saw him pushing dollies, you know, trying to you know get get in there to get time to get a shot going. You know, it's like in, in, as an example. But um, I, I think every actor and and every person on a crew has a a process and I think an assistant director's job is to give them the best ability to you know function within that process and I guess what I'm trying to say is like um, I, I I want them to be in their top form when they when they show up on the set ready to get in front of that camera because whatever that camera shoots is what is going to be iconic forever on screen you know that's what's that's the image that's the ones and zeros now that go through that don't change and so if there's Anything outside of that, uh, or or things uh, that would take away from the that process of their thinking, or, or or keeping them from getting into that moment, you know, my job as an AD is to is to shield them from that, you know, uh, at, at, at those times is is to handle those things, or work it out with other people to handle those things so that it doesn't affect performance at all. So, for an actor like Tom, he he already is well ahead. He's already rehearsed. He's already you know knows exactly what he wants before he steps foot you know, uh, on the set. So, uh, you, you know, kind of give him, give him his space, you know, to do, do what he does and, you know, there, if he needs anything, you know, I, th- I, I think of myself and more so now as a unit production manager, but as an, then as an AD, as like a concierge, you know, I'm, I'm there to able to handle anything. And as an assistant director, sometimes I felt like that, uh, you know, like a bartender in a way that can listen to your problems and, you know, and make it easier on you, you know, I'm not serving them drinks, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, a, there's a lot of jobs rolled into one, uh, uh, when, when, hand, when working with and taking care of these kind of people who, you know, need to function at uh, very focused levels for, you know, short periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. I found that over time, sometimes like makeup artists and hairstylists are like almost like the counselor to the actor. Well, <laughs> well, they're an extension of, uh, you know, the first team themselves, you know, like I, uh, they, the actors, you know, some don't like to be fussed with or, you know, once they go through the works, you know, but other ones rely on them to, to keep them there. And it's almost like a, a security blanket for, for a lot of them. So, yeah. Um, 
But I know Tom, like just going back for Tom for the probably the last time because I don't, I don't know who wants to hear this stuff. But uh, uh, I just remember uh, I was the second AD on the second unit of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and Chris Castaldi was the first AD, and uh, we were shooting in Dubai, and it was the um, the skyscraper sequence and the and the dust storm sequence and a few other things uh, tied in there. And uh, at the same time, they were the main unit was shooting like the. Um, ballroom scene at the uh, Indian hotel where, you know, he, they're, they're, they go, you know, it's a big, uh, it's a big ball. And we were shooting at the same time. So Tom would start with us, uh, from 7am to 5pm. And then he would go on to the first unit from about five uh, or 7pm to 5am. And he only got, and they did this for about a week or so straight. And he got about two hours of rest in between each one and not continuous. And, uh, I mean, he's a machine, <laughs> you know, but it was great cause he had physio trainers and, and other people working with him. And he told Castaldi and myself that, uh, he said, don't call me until you need me. But the second you call me, I'll come out there and I'll do what we need to do. And he did all his own stunts as he's famously known for. And it's funny because when you're up on there on the building, you know, I was watching the rigging guys do all the skyscraper stuff. I, I was looking at it and, and it's way, it's a hundred and, you know, 44 floors up there, you know? And I was like, I, I asked him, I said, you know, when they're doing the rigging for this, I said, I said, how do you guys get out there? And they said, after the first, you know, two stories, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anyway, that's enough about Tom. So <clears throat> when you're, you know, about to be hired onto a project and you, are tasked with the process of scheduling a film or helping piece together the schedule. Um, what are some things, practices that you take into account in terms of what is your process for that? Well, it's funny. I, I just had this really interesting <clears throat> cyclical thing happen on a, on a movie because I break down and like most ADs uh, and UPMs, we also in between, you know, working on very specific projects, we get hired to break down and schedule and budget uh, projects for, you know, producers and studios. And, and it's a, it's another side of the business, you know, where, uh, you know, we we're able to use our skill set, you know, to help, uh, uh, get movies made, you know, picked up and greenlit because, uh, when you're, you know, for those of you people that may be listening to this that don't know, uh, how it starts is, you know, from the script, you, you get a schedule. And, and once you have that, uh, a general schedule, and I'll get into the details of that if you're, if we're, want to go deeper uh they they can make a, a upm or a producer can make a preliminary budget and then they can go to the studio and say this is what it's going to cost and then they can talk back and forth if they need to rewrite the script to uh, to work within a budget or they need a lot more money to for the project in order to make it happen so so we get hired in that preliminary stage i remember there's a producer ian bryce who who you just mentioned one of the movies i did with him you know a couple of years ago is uh Transformers last night and I started with Ian back on uh, Joe versus a volcano if I'm going to date myself a little bit here in the late 80s uh, he was the unit production manager and I was his PA and um, so we had done we did a series of movies together uh, th through the years and every time we were on a movie he would usually hand me a script and say I need you to do the inputting and get it into a schedule so I can get a budget and that would end up being our next movie usually and uh, I remember at one point in my um at that point, at a very short career, uh, he handed me a script and he said, this looks like the next movie we're going to do. We just need to get a, a budget and a schedule together. And I and he gave me the script <clears throat> and I w w went home to my apartment while we were shooting. I think we were shooting The Flood or it came out as uh, Hard Rain as Morgan Freeman, Christian Slater, Mini Driver movie. And um, 
and I went back and I spent a week uh, breaking down and scheduling this very complicated movie. And after I'd finished, I mean, I thought the script was so fantastic. I went to him and I handed everything into him, and he was going to budget it from there and you know tweak the schedule. And it wasn't done on computers like it is now. It was uh, you know because movie magic was still. You know, I, I learned from him on the old strips that you used to like hand write oh, wow. them on uh, back in the day. But uh, but in in this instance, uh, um, I think it was the early version of movie magic scheduling where you would print out perforated strips uh, uh, at that point. You know, it was still that early, I believe. Um, maybe, maybe not. But uh, but I handed him back the script and I said, Ian, I don't care if I'm the second unit craft service PA. I have to work on this movie. And he said, OK, kid, we'll get, we'll figure it out. And that was uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, wow. So I at one point in history, I was the only person actually working on that movie <laughs> in my little <laughs> apartment in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it, and then, of course, it, 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 it was what it was and became what it became. And I did actually end up working on it with him. So uh, that was a. Uh, a pretty cool thing, you know, to, to have a mentor like uh, Ian Bryce and, and have him, you know, take me under his wing. You know, that's you, you need a little bit of that in this business, you know, and the rest of it, you have to have some tenacity. You have to believe in yourself more than anybody else. And you have to uh, do the work. There's no there's no substitute for the work, you know. So, uh, you know, that's like I said before, given 100 percent, 100 percent of the time. So going back to oh, the question, though. sorry, <laughs> tangent, <laughs> but I like that story. What's your process, though, once you, when you're in, in the movie magic scheduling program? Well, I don't start there. I start with the script. So, okay, okay I'll tell you my process. And, and every AD has a different process. Right. I remember I had a conversation maybe a year or so ago with Don Sparks uh, about his process. And he's a first AD, and you can look him up, anybody who you know cares to. But, uh, you know, he has his colored pens and colored system and all that. And he does very complicated movies also. Um, but... Uh, but uh, it depends on what the movie is. But the first thing I'll do is I'll get a script and it won't have any scene numbers and it won't have any, um, you know, broken out uh, uh, as far as, you know, scene one, two, three, or four. And so I'll, I'll read the script once just straight through. And I've been reading scripts my whole life, so it doesn't take me that long. And I just do it to read, just to read the story and get to know it. And, and then what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll have a trusty little ruler, like one of the, uh, you know, m mine happens to be like a, a very funky, you know, little... Uh, uh, 3D ruler that has dinosaurs on it that move uh, that I had f that I've had for like 15 years. You know, it's just one of those random you know things. But it's like my good luck ruler. I know it sounds silly, but I, I have that. Um, and what I'll do is then I'll line the script. So I'll, I'll I'll look at every scene and where every scene starts and ends. I'll, I'll put a line, and that's all I'll do for the second time I'm reading the script. Okay, so now I've read it twice. Then I'll go back a third time, and every place I've made a line, I'll put a scene number. Okay, or I'll put a part scene part. Like, you know, you know, uh, 32 part one or 32 apple, 32 baker, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. And if it's a montage sequence or something that ties together or you're cutting back and forth between an action sequence, you know, I'll part out more than just where it says cut to and a new scene heading. Every script is written differently and everyone calls every one will have different variables. So it just depends. So now I've now I've put a number through. So that's the third time I've read the script. Now, this all happens within, you know the first, you know, three, three hour period, you know, and then what I'll do is I'll part out the page count for each of those scenes because I need this information when I'm going to get to my movie magic part of it on the computer as every AD who's listening to this will know, but everyone who doesn't understand, uh, doesn't know. And what it is, is if you took a single script page, which is an eight and a half by 11 regular piece of, you know, three hole punch or, you know, whatever paper. So if you have one of those and you split that into equal parts, there would be eight, eight inches, right? So 
they call it an eighth, an eighth of a page, two eighths of a page. And so depending on how far down on the page it goes and where my lines are is, is how long the scene is. And sometimes there, like I said, there's variables to that too. This is an art form. It's not just a, you know, an exact science. It's a little bit of understanding, like if it's more dialogue based or more, you know, action driven based or description based, because I mean, if you got the script to Ben Hur, it's uh, for the chariot race. It just said two words, they race. And there you go. There's six weeks of filming right there, you know, or gone with the wind, Atlanta burns. There's two more words and it's only an eighth of a page in the script, mm -hmm. you know, but it's a lot more, you know, so, so those are extreme examples, but, but I'll determine the page count and I'll go through the whole script again and I'll, 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 you know, denote the page count all the way through. Now, that's the fourth time I've read it in about four or five hours, okay? Um, other ADs, uh, and I'm not saying Don Sparks, but Don Sparks, and, and most ADs then will take a colored uh, uh, highlighter, multicolored highlighter, you know, different ones, and they'll part out, you know, they'll highlight out the things that, um, that uh, they need to put into their breakdown. And I myself don't do that anymore. I used to um, because you would take like a blue highlighter and you'd highlight all the cast in each scene, you know, or make a notation or mark, or you put a uh, an orange one that signifies visual effect, you know, or you'll and maybe on certain movies you do need to do that. I, I had to do that on a on a breakdown I did a a year and a half ago, which I'll tell you the story about in a moment. Uh, or you'll take the yellow, and yellow could be props, you know, or something that you want to put into your breakdown. But when I'm putting a schedule together for a producer or a studio in order to budget a movie and they need it very quickly because I can do one of these now in a day or so. Uh, it used to take me a lot longer, but I can, I can, I can do, if I, if I sat down in a, for a movie and, and it's pretty accurate, I can get a first pass out in about 12 to 15 hours. So depending on how rushed they want to do it, you know, right. but, um, but those ADs and, and the former myself used to like would highlight that. And then we go to the movie magic scheduling program, which is a program anyone can buy, uh, but it's very specific to the job that we do. And you input all the information that you just broke out in order and it, and it creates these strips. And then those strips are, are you use the program to create banners and days and all that. And that's, and you, and you, you because you don't, for those of you that don't know, I keep, uh, don't know who's listening to your podcast <laughs> here. Uh, we don't shoot movies linearly in order. Most, most of the time they're shot out of order for various reasons. And, and that's part of the other part of an assistant director is, is scheduling a movie. And that's a, that's a huge art form uh, and, and a skill set to have because you, it, it's based on a lot of variables. And it's funny you know, 10 or 12 years ago, it wasn't based on cast. Now everybody's so busy, you know, your first set of variables, depending on if you're working with some of these A-list actors and stuff like that, they have 20 other things going on while they're doing your movie or your show. And so you have to schedule around them. So that's become a very big thing. And also for television. Uh, but before it used to be about locations, whether what's, what's being built on stage and what's being shot on location and on the locations, where are they shooting? Is it a government building that you can only get to on weekends? Is it a school that you can only get to after hours? You know, whatever it is, I'm making stuff off the top of my head. Am I going on too much or? No, I, I just wanted to jump in there real quick. Sure. And when you're in that process, I mean, two of the things that always throw me for a loop are stunts and VFX because there's, there's well, th five ways to do it. Yeah, so you know? here's the deal. Like, for me personally, unless you don't have the time or the money, I never like to start with any big stunt sequences first uh, because I like to have room for a crew and a cast to get to know each other and to trust each other and to know that they're 
they have the time to work out what they need to work out safely. Uh, sometimes you're on those big stunt pictures and it's just stunts all the time. But it, but I also try, and I think every AD tries to keep it as close to linear as possible. So that, that there's an a, there's an arc to the actors' performances that 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 res, that resonates with them that they can see the where that's going. But like I said, a lot of the time you're not able to do that. Um, we actually did that on Saving Private Ryan. I didn't schedule that movie at all. That was Sergio Mimic Kazan. Um, but uh, Stephen wanted to shoot in order, and we did. We shot that whole movie in order, and we shot it in 59 days. Well, 60. We did one pickup reshoot day in, in Los Angeles at Universal on the stage, but uh, but that was shot in order. Um, but like I said, most of them aren't. So you schedule for locations, you schedule for actors, and you schedule for the sets. So your production designer, you know, how long is it going to take them to build what you need to build for it? Sometimes you can't have those up front and have them at the end. Uh, I remember on Jurassic World... We shot in um, Hawaii first, and then we came here to Louisiana, and we shot at the old uh, Six Flags out out there, and and we ended up being in Louisiana in the deep summer, where it's a hundred, hundred eight degrees, and all the humidity, and with outside the whole time with background on a tarmac of a parking lot, you know, where we built the uh, the amusement park, and uh, we, the reason we had to do it that way because it would have been a lot better to start you know i think in the park where the weather was better at least you know and not in the deep summer uh was mainly because they didn't have enough time to build the sets so we started in hawaii and did all the sequences there in the rainy you know (laughs) jungles uh, more jungles uh and uh i seem to always end up on jungle shows i don't know why but uh and then moved to um, moved to Louisiana because the sets weren't built that way. But we had to scout it first, you know, <laughs> and figure it all out, and then go to Hawaii and then come back and shoot. So it was very interesting, uh, you know, the way that one broke down. But anyway, so you go through all these different variables, and there's, you know, like each script calls for something different of, of how you would schedule it. And you get your, it's just a first pass. Like a schedule is a living, breathing organism. It's always going to change. You should. I always tell everybody: don't fall in love with your first schedule, even though you know you finish it and you're so excited and it's great and this is it and this is what we're going to do. It's never going to be that ever. It's it it it's it it has life and it will always change because, you know, you know when you're shooting. Sometimes you don't finish your days or make your days or finish your scenes or you determine that there's a rewrite and you need to go back or do more and you know you have to be able to roll with it. So the schedule is never. You may have something that that works, but it's never locked in stone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I going back to the original question, I I will will not get too deep into that when I'm doing a schedule for a budget. I will uh, I will basically get for the days. I'll determine, and I'll usually work with the producer or if I'm not the unit manager, a unit manager. In discussing, you know, you know, there's a certain uh, monetary value to each day of shooting for each kind of movie, you know, and they know the general idea of what the budget's going to be. And sometimes you'll come up with a schedule and you want to make it as tight as possible. And they'll come back and they'll say, add another six days, add another two days, add another 10 days, you know, whatever it is, or take out, you know, uh, conversely, you know, take out. So I'm not scheduling for actors. I'm not scheduling for locations. I'm not scheduling for anything but a, a, a set amount of days. And that's so that they can take that if you're not doing it uh and you know like now i work with an accountant so we i do the budget too in in the role that i'm in right now but but usually if it's i'm doing it for a producer they have their people you know that'll budget the script that you give them and they'll work that out but they'll just give you like we have they'll ask you what how many days it is first usually and you'll come up and you'll say it's 55 days and they're like, yeah, we thought it around there, maybe a 60, you know. And you'll go through the schedule together and give them a, you'll tweak it, you know, just so they can get their first pass done. And that's that's early 
scheduling, you know, before a, a, a show's basically even greenlit. That's just to get it right. to that point. Did I answer your question? No, yeah, that's good. Okay. And, but so once you're in that process, are there, th- are there special things that you, t- that you do differently or that you've learned over the years in terms of, okay, um, you've got a big crowd sequence, you know, or... Yeah, well, I'll denote certain things that, like, I know, well, just from experience, from, you know, I, I don't want to say I've been standing on sets for 32 or 33 years now, but uh, as embarrassing as that is, <laughs> um, you know, you see a lot of stuff, and you know in your head what it, what it takes to, to, the basic idea of what it takes to do that, and everybody does everything differently uh, on every show, which is what makes this business exciting, because you never know where you're going to be, or what you're going to do, or who you're going to work with, or what their styles are, and it's, uh, you know, it, that's the interesting part of the the business to me but there's a general sense of of what it takes to get something done whether it be working with large numbers of background or in different environments because uh, for example the show that i just did here in new orleans is a pilot for fox called filthy rich we had a scene in a mega church you know and we had you know 600 people but the scenes on you know uh, on D-Day, Normandy Beach and St. Brian was a thousand soldiers, you know, and you have to think about what does it take to get them ready, let alone what does it take to work with them and shoot the, you know, how much time that is. So you have a general idea that, uh, you know, for the church scene, I can call them in in the morning and get them ready and shoot all my stuff and be done. And for Saving Prior Ryan, I know Sergio uh, and Adam Goodman the second when they were, you know, and thinking about how they were going to do this uh, and Kevin Delanois who, you know, put the whole process together. It was more of uh, you know, a, a bigger picture, like how much we're going to be able to shoot a day and, you know, what's the science behind it. So uh, you just, after a while, you know, you know, if you don't know, you, you know, you, you, you know, you learn by mistakes, you know, but, or you ask, I, I've never been afraid to ask a question or call someone up and say, Hey, I've never done a car movie before. And I've got this big car chase. How did you guys do it? You know, and I'll have those conversations with people too. Uh, you know, not that, as an example, but I mean, that's the idea. Behind. So when I have a script, you know, cause we're talking so, you know, you know, vaguely because like I said, every script is, is different. Um, you know, I'll look for the very, you know, special sequences that make that script special because otherwise it's just people talking in a room or, you know, whatever it is that, that it is. And those are very easy to schedule. Cause you know, you have a general idea. Every director is different. You know, Michael Mann will do, you know, 50 takes, but, uh, Michael Bay will do three, you know, <laughs> or whatever. So, you know, y- if you know anything about the director, that helps, you know, but but it, you have a general idea that if it's, uh, you know, if it's a two and a half page scene, it's going to, you know, with three actors or four actors, you know, the more actors they have in it, the more coverage you're going to need, which in every bit of coverage, if you're only working with two cameras or if you have three cameras, is going to be a different amount of setup time if you can't shoot them all, if you can't do cross coverage. So, and I, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's just the amount of cameras you have on set that are capturing the images and for different shots. Uh, you know, is, is how fast it takes to set it up and how fast it takes to get a print on it to move on to the next setup to complete the scene. So, um, you know, I don't take any of those variables into account when I'm breaking down or budgeting or scheduling a movie. I just do a general practice of what I think it takes, having been on set all these years of, you know, it, like when I'm doing it, I'm looking at it as a Jason Roberts movie. Right. You know, <laughs> I'm not looking at it as whoever is doing doing it the best possible product or you know the the you try and do it as efficiently but you allow for room for air 
You know, mm-hmm. you allow some variable time in different places for different things. So that's when you're coming up with what you can shoot on a day. And I mean, one of the processes when your first idea is after you make the schedule is to sit down with your director and say, hey, can you do this on this day? You know, and then you talk about the scenes and it may be a small scene, but he's like, no, this is the most emotional or she, this is the most emotional part of the whole movie. And I want to take an extra four hours on it, you know, and it may be, you know, a page long and you're like, oh, okay. But now, you know, but that didn't, that might not have been apparent to you in the beginning. You know, uh, had had it just been a single script page, you know, a normal scene with two actors. And when you're doing some of these larger movies, like a Michael Bay movie that has a lot of VFX, are you working with a VFX company when in the scheduling part of that film? Well, it goes to them. You know, I, I'll give you an example if I can. Not not using a Michael Bay movie, but I I broke down and scheduled a movie for a producer that I've worked with uh, before, Diana Picorni. Uh, we were doing a, a Fox movie called Call of the Wild. And I think I did the schedule in 2017 for them. And at the time, Hugh Jackman was attached and it was this big, you know, $100 million, uh, half kind of animated-ish movie, half live action movie about uh, the Jack London book with the sled dog Buck, you know. And uh, and I had done the schedule f- with her and met with her and the VFX um, producer, uh, on that from the particular VFX company that's going to be handling the movie, you know, and doing all this stuff, and who was like, uh, you know, a director on the movie, but not the director. And in the prep, we, they, ha- you know, I made my first schedule pass, and I went to them, and they said, okay, now break out this extra stuff, because that's all going to be digital. We're not even going to shoot that, you know. And so I was able to pull strips and elements out, you know, and, and get it to a leaner schedule for the actual live action part of it, and then plates that we needed to do. And we got to the point where they got it where they're happy and the studio was like, okay, this is the movie we're going to make. And I, it's the funny thing, the, the, the interesting little, you know, full circle thing here is that I was, I went away for a year and a half or something. Maybe it was close to, I think it was the end of 2016 when I did that. Maybe it was the beginning of somewhere in the front half of 2017 when I did the schedule. And then it, at the last, in 2018 in like uh, October, I get a phone call from her and say, hey, you know, we're on the last four days of the movie <laughs> right now. This is a year and a half <laughs> year yeah. later, and our first CD had to leave, and nobody else knows the script like you do. Would you come in and finish first in the first unit for the movie? And I was like, and I was just finishing up my other job, and, you know, I talked to the studio, and they said, yeah, go help. help. It's Fox or Fox, you know. I was on another <laughs> Fox show. So I went over there, and I actually did the last, you know, four days of shooting on the movie. And it was no longer Hugh Jackman, it was Harrison Ford. <laughs> it switched in the, in the time. And, uh, but, uh, but it wasn't with him. It was, uh, yeah, it was some other stuff. And it, I did all the, like, the sled unit and all this other stuff that they needed to finish the last four days of the movie. It was kind of funny because I never, if you break down and schedule a show for someone, you never, and you're not doing that show, that's it. You know, you just see it in the theaters like everybody else. But I actually had a full circle moment. I got to come around and actually work on the last, uh, and run the set for the last four days for them on that and finish up. And that's kind of fun it was like a, a little moment <laughs> yeah so the, the the vfx you know we're talking about how you know it can be tag you're tag teaming with the vfx producer or the company and well it's funny because like i do a show right now currently uh we're we're have finished season two it's almost all being released within this month. Uh, the last episodes of released of a of a TV series for Fox called The Orville, Seth MacFarlane's you know Star Trek space kind of show, and uh, we're going to go do season three, and um, uh, that's a heavy visual effects show. I mean, more so than most movies. We do more visual effects on that show than than movies do. 
and it's incredible the amount. And we have a uh, you know, whole VFX department where we have VFX producers and supervisors and coordinators. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, like any movie. It's a large group of people and that are on this just like they'd be on any you know Marvel type movie with VFX you know for a year year and a half putting these episodes together and uh, so as a unit production manager on the movie I mean as an AD when I did the first season as the first AD and the second season I was a unit production manager and the the first season you know it's more of like this is what I want you know and you know when you're on set and you're you know this is how you know I want to run it right and then as a UPM, it's more the budgetary side of it. So you have to sit and have these wonderful meetings about what you can and can't do based on, you know, the money you have and, and, and how you work within a budget or go have to go back, you know, hat in hand, and ask for more money. Uh, and so I, I've had a stronger working relationship with the, uh, VFX and post teams, uh, at that point on the second season than I did the first season because, you know, I'm busy running the set and, you know, they're just a presence on the set to make sure we're getting them the information that they need, you know, for the plate shots or for whatever the is on, on in front of the camera so that they can work with it later on. So as an AD, it's, I think it's a different thing, you know, but you have an understanding as an AD when you do those kind of shows or when you've worked on transformers, and, you know, you deal with a lot of visual effects because nothing, there are no robots. And just like in Jurassic World, there are no dinosaurs, you know, <laughs> although we had a couple of practical dinosaurs, you know, <laughs> mechanical ones. So that they were tangible, you could touch. But uh, but for the most part, you know, they're acting off of nothing in front of them. And you get an idea of how what that takes and how it is to work with that. And, and having a good VFX, you know, uh, producer or supervisor, whoever, you know, is on the team that's with you on set uh, is invaluable, obviously, which is why they're, they're there right alongside of you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the mechanics change as you, you know, the different roles that you have. So w- when you're scheduling these VFX shots, I'm sorry, we're talking so long about VFX, but mm-hmm. it's, it's something that I think is, you know, um, so, so hard to understand sometimes, you know, so, you know, part of it, you know, from this experience of working on Transformers or working these movies. And the other part is, are you having these meetings with VFX producers and supervisors saying, how do I do yeah, this? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I don't know everything. You know, I still don't know a right. lot about it. You know, it's like it, I, I didn't, you know, it's not my forte. It's not my, you know, the science behind it. I, I you know, I'm just like everybody else. I'm like, what? How are you going to do that? Okay. <laughs> you know, but the one thing I do is have access for them to show me what it, what they talking about. And I also have the ability to, you know, be humble and say, I still don't understand, you know, explain it to me in layman's terms. So I understand what we're doing, you know, because, you know, listen, uh, some of it is above me, you know, but you know, you have to be strong enough to be able to keep asking the questions until you understand it or trust the people that you hire in those particular roles to tell you this is what it takes. And you have to know when it's like, okay, that's what we're going to do. You know, that's the best way to do it. And I come more from that ladder school too, where, you know, you surround yourself with very good people that are very good at what they do and you give them a little bit of room, you know, to do the job that they are well qualified and trained to do. Right. You know. So, you know, you're, you're done with the schedule. It's it's amazing. You think it's great. And um, you're moving into pre-production. And, you know, how, how much time do you normally prep a movie for or a TV uh, once series? Once again, we're talking in vague variables right. because every show is different. So... I mean, a movie like Jurassic World is going to have, you know, 20 weeks or more, you know, 30 weeks, you know, it just depends. Like Avengers, you know, Chris Castaldi, the idea on that, I know he was prepping, you know, so many months out. It was, uh, you know, 
it was incredible that that was you know two and a half years of his life or, or more because I think they're still doing some reshoots you know or or just finishing that up so I mean a smaller movie like if it's a more what I call just a, a talking head kind of movie where it's not the big stunts and effects I mean if it's an independent low budget movie you may only get you know four weeks or five weeks you know but uh you know if you're looking at your average studio picture i don't know it, it the variables go from 10 to 16 weeks you know i don't know uh and, and so tv is different though right. T- tv i mean when you're getting set up for the season mm-hmm. it's a little more time but for every episode that you shoot you're getting eight days of prep as an ad you know as someone who's scheduling as a you know, if you're the first ADN on the first episode and you're prepping up, you probably get, you know, 14 days maybe, you know, on the first one out there. And the UPM and the rest of the production team will have, you know, eight to 10 weeks out, you know, or more, depending on how complicated the set builds are or, you know, what you need to do. I mean, it, you, it's it's hard to give general answers because every single show and every single type of show is different. But, um, you know, it, it it's... You have to like, so you finish scheduling. Let's say, okay, let's say the movie's greenlit and you're good and you're the AD and you know, you're doing the movie with the director. You have to then figure out the, the, the real schedule now, which is, which is how, how are we going to shoot this? You know, where we want to shoot this and the time that we have to shoot this in. And so whatever I said, that would be, you know, if it's 10 weeks out or 16 weeks out or 12 weeks out, whatever it is, you have to start, you know, your meetings are, you're meeting every day with all the departments, with your produ- the production designer, with the cinematographer when they come on, or even if they're not on, you know, having these conversations, definitely with the director and the, and the location manager, you're scouting a lot and you're determining where the sets are going to be. So you understand where they need to fit within the schedule and, you know, and you, and the production designer is obviously heavily involved in, in the one of the key decision, you know, people in that, you know, uh, triangle. So, you know, all those meetings that you have all day long are, you know, are, are just things that lead up to how you're going to put the puzzle together. So when, when you're in that process, is there a certain type of system or thing that you're trying to do? Like, are you, trying to create a rhythm each week okay on monday we're gonna do this yeah i mean it, like i said it's a it's it, there's a there's a flow to to everything you know and so uh i i think i tapped on it briefly with one comment earlier where i said i don't like to schedule big stunts or big sequences or big emotional moments too early in a schedule i mean sometimes you don't have a choice but you know and and my other through line goal is to keep it as in close to linear arc as I can because it's always helpful to do that impossible to do that but you know as close as you can and um, you know sometimes you can't because the location will be in the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie you know and you're only at the location once so you're going to be shooting that at the same time or whatever you know it may be in that case but um, yeah you know there's a definite energy and there's a definite idea and it's funny because You'll, you'll go through it with the director and you'll get this rhythm of, you know, how much you can shoot on a day and how much of that is, you know, uh, emotional content, you know, of like, you know, a, a scene between two actors or whatever and how much is going to be the action of running down the hall, you know, and can that be a BK, whatever, whatever that is, you'll come up with a schedule and then they'll start casting because usually they don't have everyone cast there and all of a sudden they get, you know, I don't know, Julia Roberts and all of a sudden she's not available in November from these dates and that was the that's the only way your schedule worked was to have those scenes on that date. And then you have to sit and you go back to square one and change everything around again. And you have to have all your meetings again and figure out what the art department could do to accelerate, you know, 
know, building something or finding a new location or recasting a different actor if you want to keep that actor because that other actor isn't available on those days or whatever it is. I mean, right. there's literally thousands of variables. And so it's, it's, that's the idea behind it. It's hard to talk specifically, specifically about it, but, um, you know, you just, you, you're, you have to be able to be a, a reed, you know, that blows in the wind and, and, you know, absorbs, you know, the, everything that's coming at you and, 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 and not be a very rigid, stringent person. And cause that'll snap in hard way. You know what I mean? You have to mm -hmm. be able to, to be uh, fluid for it with it. So did I answer that? I don't no, know. No, I think you did. Okay. Well, I was just, I guess I was curious also about your prep process. If there's anything specifically that, um, that you like to do as Jason Roberts during prep on a movie, you know? Well, I mean, I don't think anything out of the, I do, you know, it, well, it depends on what the job is. When I, when I used to be a second AD before moving up, I, I'd hire my team and I liked to, and this is just something off the side. I, <laughs> and half, if any of the guys that have worked with me in the past, or at least far enough in the past that remember this, I would like, I would, take everybody out for a dinner, you know, and mm -hmm. get a little bonding experience or something. I used to screen uh, that documentary more than a game. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. About LeBron James. Not because it's LeBron James and, you know, he, he because of who he is, but I liked this the message behind that documentary, which is about teamwork and loyalty mm -hmm. with him and his friends. And I would screen that. And it's a good, good documentary nonetheless. And I just let it sink into my group of guys or girls, you know, uh, as, as a team because it, it exemplifies that, you know, and when you're out there, it's, a, you know, you're the unit, you know, you're, it's a battle, you know, and, right. and you got to rely on everybody else. And, uh, and I think, you know, stuff like that helps, but, um, you know, in, in doing a movie, I like to, I like to be, uh, uh, I like to be very, um, you know, just dedicated to getting the job done every day, which is whatever that calls for, for that day. I don't, I don't, um, I don't rule with an iron fist when I was an AD. I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't a yeller or a screamer, and some people do operate like that, and I didn't find that serviced me or anybody else very well, right. so I wasn't that kind of guy. And uh, I always try to give people room, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of guide with a light touch and a sense of humor and maybe a little bit of charisma. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that, you know, I mean, everyone has a different style and you try and find, you know, the teams of people that you work with, you know, that, that match your style or at least can adapt to your style. And as a first AD, at least as a second, I had to adapt to the first, you know, to the best of my abilities. It's a little bit of a chameleon kind of role, you know, right. being, the, being the key second AD versus the first AD. And as a UPM, you have to let it go and you have to let people hire their teams that they want, you know, provided that uh, they're qualified and uh, and they can make the deal. And then you have to give them room to succeed or fail in their particular departments. And, um, you know, you can still guide and you can still be... Um, you know, that angel on their shoulder to help where needed, but you have to give them room to, to do things the way that you can't micromanage mm -hmm. that much because, uh, it's, uh, it's soul killing, <laughs> you know, and it's not the reason that you have those people there, you know, is my, is my thought. And I don't like to baby actors and I don't like to treat, you know, people with, you know, reverence. I just like to respect everybody and respect the job. So I think it's pretty clear, you know, when, when I was the second and the, f this is how I learned from the first ADs, the guys like Castaldi and, and, and the other ADs I worked with, there was no mistaking who's in charge. He's in charge. And I like to take that same thing when I was a first that mm -hmm. I may be easygoing and have a sense of humor and all that, but there was no mistaking that I had a game plan and this is how we're doing it. And this is what's happening. And either you're in or you're in the way. So, 
you know you know what i mean mm-hmm. there there there's that level of like the professionalism and the seriousness of like where you have a group of 300 people or 250 people that you're responsible for for their health welfare safety and general well-being while trying to you know push forward the shooting the, the shooting movement you know of of a company uh uh you know, at the same time and keep it on budget, you know, within your schedule. So there's a lot of, you know, things going on in your head, the mechanics behind it that you're always, you know, adjusting for. It's almost like, in remember Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, when mm-hmm. he first landed in the glasses and someone says something and like the six different responses come up in his eyeball and the red and he picks <laughs> one of them. And that's kind of what it's like, you know, as everything's happening, you're, you're rolling with it and figuring out what it is. So, right. uh, but you were very specific about prep and, um, you know, prep is, you know, the five P's, you know, uh, prep, you know, it's because if, if it, or is it four P's, uh, you know, if you, prep is so you don't have piss, piss poor planning, you know, and procedure. I don't remember what it was, but it's something like that where, where if you don't prep properly, you're, right. it's not going to get executed properly. So you have to put in, you know, the, I keep saying the work because I don't know the specifics of what I'm saying as far as like every, every day is different and everything, every kind of meeting is different, but you have to unite the crew so that they're all on the same page as you, as the director, as the, as you're helping the director achieve his vision. So, you know, the director will say something and it's your job to manage it and marshal everybody together to execute that vision for a feature, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and television, it's a little bit different. The director comes in, does have his or her version of what they're doing, but it's a producer's medium. These writer, producers, showrunners, uh, you know, have certain styles. And as an AD, you have to, you know, if it's a guest director, you have to be the little bird in there and say, hey, you know, we don't use Dutch angles on the show, you know, or whatever it is. Right. Or we don't use Steadicam, you know, let's figure out another way to do it. I had a director who will remain nameless on Orville uh, during the first season who wanted to, uh, <laughs> you know, get a big uh, techno crane on the side of a mountain, you know, with all this stuff. And I was just like, this is, and he did a lot of Game of Thrones. And I was like, this isn't Game of Thrones. You know, this is not how we work here. I'll tell you what, I'll get you a dolly track and a jib arm up there, you know, and we'll schedule for the end of the day. But it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to helicopter in here, you know, like to do that. So, you know, you know what the heart of the show is and what the tone of the show is. And same for the movie. And you know who you're working for and trying to get that idea across to everybody heading in the same direction. You know, as ADs, we facilitate the forward movement of a shooting company, you know, and it's our job to do that with a lot of different personalities. And, um, it's a, it's a complicated job, you know, otherwise a lot of people would be doing it. (laughs) You're mentioning this idea of work, which I I really like that concept where it's, you know, I find sometimes people are afraid of the hard work of actual filmmaking that they're fascinated with this idea of being in a movie. I always (laughs) tell people that the, uh, movie business is glamorous until you're in it. Right. And then from that moment on, it's work because you have to find it within yourself. You have to find it within your own heart to, I mean, I can't tell you, I was, I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday. Uh, we were just talking about some of the old shows and she says, I don't know how you, in Cambodia, I did that uh, Angelina Jolie picture, First They Killed My Father. And we shot for several months in the jungles and the rice fields and in no, in no real huge civilized kind of areas. It was all rural. And it was with, we had in a 55 day shoot, we had 25,000 background artists and none of them spoke English and none of them ever worked on a show before. So the complicated prep period of setting that up, you know, uh, with the AD team was very interesting, but so we had to work weekends and we had to rehearse with all the people on the weekends for everything we were going to do during that week. And we had a great AD team. I'll tell you all about them later. But um, we had a very solid group of people from around the world that we brought in 
uh, to do this. And uh, every day, seven days a week, four or five in the morning, I'm getting up. I'm putting on, you know, my long sleeve shirts and my long sleeve pants in 108 degrees in the jungles and my hats and my scarves and stuff, you know, because the sun is brutal and it's like Lawrence of Arabia, you know, you the, it actually cools you down more that way and you don't right. get sunburnt or or dehydrated as easy. And uh, I would, my wife would watch me trudge out of the hotel room every every morning, not knowing how I'm doing it for, and I would and I would just go and once but my mindset is once I set foot in either the van or the car taking me there I actually drove in with the first so we always had our our driver and we'd get to set I'd step off the set onto the set and I'd be like this is my whole life now the only thing that matters is making sure everything runs smoothly to get what we need to get done today and whether that was a weekend of rehearsing or whether that was you know whatever it meant to getting stuff ready for the next day whatever that was I just I just shut everything else out. It's like Kobe Bryant on the on the basketball court. No, he doesn't notice any of the people around him, or the fans, you know, or anything screaming or anything. All he knows is the basketball and the and the hoop, you know. And it's the same kind of idea for for when I do it. And and every day for for those months, you know. And sometimes shows back to back where I would just push myself. And when you think you can't go anymore, you find that place within you to to go further. And that's what separates a lot of people who are like, that's not for me, you know, or that's not what right. I want to do. But I saw a longer, bigger term picture for me in this, in this business. And I knew it would take that kind of work because there's a hundred other people. There's a thousand other people that do what I do. Some of them a lot better than me. Some not so good as me, you know, maybe I'm somewhere in the middle, but, but I knew that the one thing that might set me apart from everybody else is my work ethic and my dedication and, and the fact that I won't give up until it gets done. And I think that appealed to a lot of different producers and directors and ADs where I started to get a lot of phone calls because they knew they could trust me and that it wouldn't, that it would just get done no matter what it was. And, um, so it's, 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 you like, you have to individually find it within yourself. It's a, it's a strong, it's work ethic is a, is a strong part of it. You, You mentioned, um, dealing with thousands of extras, you know, I think that's something that um, I'm always curious about on some of these larger shows that shoot overseas. W- what's the, the process for sourcing them? Are you paying them? Are they oh, volunteers? Yeah. No, or? no, you pay everybody. Uh, well, I mean, I guess certain shows may or may not. I mean, if you remember Gandhi, the story, um, and I, I just blinked out on the first name. He was, he was incredible. I know Julian Wall was one of the seconds on it, but uh, there's the famous story where uh, Sir Richard Attenborough and it wasn't David Tomlin. I'm so blanking. I might make you shut this off, and I'll go look it up really quick, and then <laughs> and then and then come back with it. But anyways, he was so nervous about this day because they had two hundred and fifty thousand background. Now you're not paying everybody, you know, but that's that was the number. That's I think the largest number oh ever. Two hundred and, and you didn't hear that wrong. It was two hundred fifty thousand uh, uh, background artists. And I remember the story being told to me by um, by. Uh, uh, another AD who who was a that I worked with, who was working with all those guys at the time, and and he, and the story, and I think it's been told many times to many different people, but there's still people around who were there. I was so nervous about this day with 250,000 background, and they had all these telephone poles with big uh, speakers set up all the way across town for miles. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. And I did a a scene on that Angelina Jolie movie with. 10,000 background on one day and that that was a lot and I couldn't imagine 250,000 oh you know that was like 25 times it's, it's incredible so he's so nervous about it and and 
and he's talking to him for 20 minutes about that and and he and he says do you understand he goes yeah and he grabs the microphone and he goes right gandhi's dad dead you're sad you know and then <laughs> that, that was it that was the four words that he said or something like that you know gandhi's dead you're sad after you know 20 minutes of hearing how important it is to get the message across to everybody so sometimes you need to you know, to be able to work with large amounts of people, you can't get too deep into things, you know, when you, you know, some of the harder background to set is when you have one or two people, you know, and it has mm -hmm. very specific stuff. When you have large numbers of people, there's a, you know, there's an art and mechanics to that too, where, you know, you'll see some people come by and, you know, do it via, you know, split people up via their birthdays or birthday months, or if it's, if their last number, their social security ends on an even number, an odd number. It's a really quick way to split people up and send them in different directions doing certain things, you know, or to put people in little battalion groups and units and, and have them all, you know, go on the same general mission in life or have somebody, you know, speed, you know, everyone whose name starts with a J goes 10% faster than everybody else in the scene. You know what I mean? Whatever that is, there's right. like lots of little tricks that you learn along the way to help you. And sometimes you just wing it, you know? And, you know, I like to, when you're an AD, breaking down, can I go backwards for a second yeah, here? Yeah. Breaking down yeah. and scheduling a movie and you're in the actual uh, part where you're, you know, the movie's, you know, being made and you're with the director and you're, you know, th four weeks out and you're going over the background, you know, you usually have another meeting where you sit down and you say, well, in this scene, you know, when the guy drops his son off at his grandmother's house, you know, I, you know, you'll, the director will tell you, say, I pictured that there'll be two other cars on the street, maybe some kids on a bicycle, maybe a mailman, you know, somebody watering the lawn, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever. And the director say, no, 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 I don't want the kids on the bicycle because of whatever reason, but I do want more cars because I want it to seem like it's, she lives in a busy area or I want it to be like, you know, uh, a lot more people on the street or nobody on the street. I just want it to be an empty street, you know. And you have these conversations about every scene of like, you know, when I'm doing it, my, my breakdown, you know, it's still that Jason Roberts movie. You right. know, it's not whoever the director is, you know, uh, he or she is, you know, their movie yet. And when I sit down and go over it with them, it becomes you know, what they, their vision and how I can, you know, adapt or change. And I give them, you know, a general idea or they'll come to me and they'll say already what they want, you know, <laughs> depending on what it is. But, but the same thing, you know, when you're working with large amounts of background, you have to, you have to break it into smaller, smaller groups usually to, to work it out. And so, uh, it, it depends on, you know, w what your role is in the, on the AD team, you know, because primarily the key second ADs aren't setting the background, you know, and when I was a second second, I was, uh, you're right next to the first and you're, uh, you know, I'm still on the set as much as possible as a second, but the business has changed a lot in the last several years right. where being a key second AD, you were more like an assistant unit manager. You know, I, I made deals all the time as an AD, you know, I've done some really unusual things as a second AD that you wouldn't think would be in the job description, but yet are, you know, I think more and more standard these days in the sense of, you know, you still have a chain of command that you need to go through to get to where you need to go, but you're, you're sometimes at the first line of defense of handling things. And, um, and that didn't always used to be the case, you know, um, but, but going backwards just to the background part of it, cause I'll, I'll get off on a tangent. It's, um, it's your second, second and additional seconds and PAs or mm -hmm. whoever the trainees that are the ones that are, setting and, and, and directing the background uh, on a set. And for those of you that are listening to this that may not be in the business and know what that is, the assistant director, one of the creative parts of the job is that everything that's not an actor uh, being directed by the director is directed by an assistant director. 
And so whether it's cars in the background or people, you know, we paint with people and we create believable atmospheres so you don't realize that they're, you know, it's not the Truman Show, you know, where all of a sudden everybody stops and, and he realizes he's in a, in a show and not, you know, in his real life. So <clears throat> if you do it well, it's seamless, you know, and there's tricks to that too where, you know, we, we all, you know, the, the, the standard way of, of directing background is you give them their background cue uh, ahead of time, 99% of the time is this their specific cues not to do that so that their action is happening and the actors walk into it so that there's no frozen people in a scene, you know, and that, uh, that there's a believable world, uh, that they're, they're currently in, you know, but there's, there's, you know, there, you watch the Truman show and you'll see what I'm talking about. And, and in that movie that you were dealing with thousands of extras, what was the process of finding those extras oh well so there's a jp vandermeer is a background casting director based out of uh, cape town south africa uh or johannesburg no cape town mm -hmm. and he did uh, he's done movies like the new mad max and he's doing a ridley scott movie right now I mean, he is like he his forte is to go into foreign countries and uh and getting background so what he did uh when we got when i got i got there slightly ahead of the first AD to prep in Cambodia because they had actually replaced the other AD team. And, um, and I sat down and we were putting everything together and, and Adam came in and we, they had to get, we had to get someone like that in because he needed to go to every village area that we we're shooting in and recruit all these people to do the movie. Now we were paying everybody. It's not the same in a first world country than it is in a third world country, but they were all being compensated more than they would normally make ever there you know so it was all something that was beneficial to them and beneficial to us and so i remember one instance he's such a lovely guy and he's got such a great heart um we needed to get some monks and it was very difficult to film with monks because you can't always work they can't always work within your schedule and they can't always do what you want them to do and so sometimes we had to cast people that weren't monks and that meant shaving their head you know, because they had to do that. <laughs> and he was the first guy to get a whole bunch of people together, stand in line at the barber first, and shaved his head to show everybody else. Wow. He's a dedicated guy. He's such a lovely guy, and he's so good at what he does. I would hire him on any show. But but he would go and figure out with the locations department how to get buses to each town that they were shooting in the area. And when we were shooting the stuff, that particular thing, he'd find the 500 people in the local villages, mm -hmm. and those are the people that would work in the background in those those areas he would get them on buses and get them to our costume department so ellen mirajnik could could fit everybody you know and put them in certain clothes because it wasn't all just pajamas and you know soldier uniforms and stuff like that it had to be pre-fit so we did most that we could do there and then you know we sent people out to them to you know work with that for the ten thousand background day we had people come as they were you know because you're not going to address ten thousand people and but it was a general idea of what they were going to wear what's going to work within what we wanted to you know is a period picture but it, it worked because it was the large numbers but uh but but having a great background casting director on these foreign locations is different than like central casting sitting in an office and making phone calls you know it, it takes a lot more you have a large team of people and it takes a lot more you know you have to go out and photograph everybody you have to go and explain everything. So they have usually like these, in a way, they're almost like tribal elders or village elders, you know, that mm -hmm. would then, they're like the platoon leaders that would then would get the 30 people from their little village, you know, and then they would be there on the day and you'd pay them and, you know, you'd work it out that way. And what we did is I hired, so we had a lot of ADs from all over the world. I had a couple from the States, a couple from um, 
uh, the UK, some from Berlin, some from Australia, some from uh, the Czech Republic. I mean, we brought people in from everywhere that were had very specific skill sets and had worked with uh, myself and Adam Sumner on different shows around the world that we trusted, and um, and brought them in. And what we what I did is in the beginning is I found. Lo there wasn't really a film community that was very deep in Cambodia. So, but in Phnom Penh, um, we were in Siem Reap. Uh, we were able to um, find, like, I want to say film students, but students and people that were had been making like short films and stuff like that that spoke English. And I recruited them, and had people recruit them to come up to Siem Reap. We put them up in hotels and we paid them a, a good salary. And we turned each those people into production assistants, third ADs, you know, the second, second AD, you know, right. and, and everybody had a, you know, we had a, you know, a large number of them and they would be our translators and they would be right by our side. And like, I did this in India, I did a movie in India and I had someone that was, that was like that for me in India. And I've done a few movies in South America and it's almost the same thing where I pick that one person that's like-minded, like the ones I just told you about. And I will talk to large groups of background in English. I'd learn a little bit of like Hindi, let's say, but not enough to be able to mm -hmm. communicate what I wanted to communicate. And they would be right next to me. And I would tell them in the beginning, I said, you need to repeat everything I'm saying word for word in your language with the same uh, uh, cadence and the same annotation and the same uh, emphasis so that what I'm saying means the same to them so that they can do the action that I want them to do. And finding good people like that is uh, invaluable, you know, in, in making that happen. And so you have to you have to figure that out. You know what I mean? I, I did a movie in Uruguay, and there's nobody had ever done a movie in Uruguay before. They had uh, they had brought like I think Michael Mann's Miami Vice had shot there, but they brought everybody from Miami, you know, and from from America. So there wasn't one local person that worked in Uruguay on movies. And when we put the crew together, there was a couple of people that did, they do commercials down there, but they've never done a movie. I had to show the prop guy, here's what your job is. You know, I had to show art department people, here's what your job is. I was there prepping for a long period of time. And you had to train the different departments to do what they do. And sometimes those distant location jobs, you're showing people what to do. Are you, um, when you're dealing with that many extras that are kind of in a foreign... Back to background, sorry world are you paying them like yeah um, and so, so like yeah so like they they get paid in their local currency and so like every background artist got uh, not the ten thousand people mm -hmm. we didn't pay them that was a uh that we paid their soldiers that we had within the group of the ten thousand of that right. day um it maybe it's more like eleven thousand you know because we had probably you know 800 soldiers I mean, child soldiers and stuff is crazy but so we'd pay those people, but you know the the people we, we you would pay every back other background artist just like you would in any other country, you know a living working wage, you know. For ex for example, I believe we paid um, the the Cambodian background in these small villages. I believe we paid them anywhere from twelve to fifteen dollars a day, and we gave them food, you know, for lunch and stuff like that. And that was more than, and they would w each group would be shooting in these different areas for a couple weeks at a time so every day that they would be there they get another 12 or 15 dollars mm -hmm. and i think someone told me and i may be wrong but this is what i was told that by the time we leave every two or three weeks to the next location in that three-week period those 15 dollars a day for three weeks you know that the 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 15 days of of 15 dollars was more than they would make in two years oh wow so it wasn't uh, it was not a large sum if you think in first world terms, but in third world terms, it was like, and Angie actually was concerned that they would get too much money too quickly. And so she wanted to get financial 
planners to go from the cities to go to the villages to help them, you know, not spend their money on, you know, stuff that wasn't helpful for them. You know, they she could do whatever they want, but just so that they didn't, you know. So they might save it. And yes, they know how to save it and, and use it for the benefit for them. I mean, she was very, she is a definite woman of the people. I love her, but uh, she was uh, so kind hearted to, to everyone there. Is, is, I'm sorry to, to ask this again, but is this money like just in their currency or yeah, you're not in their currency payroll though no 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 you just but you have a like a chip they just sign right. a, a, a thing to the yeah and they get paid that it gets directly to them though it's not it's not put in a bank for them it's right. handed to them that's what it is that's very cool yeah um and jp the casting director is the one who gets it to them directly so and then what i'm just curious was there a reason you're like no, no, i was just, just curious i mean sometimes though on some of these bigger movies I'm always curious if it's just, okay, we're putting a sign here and whoever walks by. Well, there is that. There's always that. When you're shooting in cities and, and buildings and stuff like that, you right. know, and there's a sign up that says we're filming here and if you walk through here, you give your consent to be filmed and give up your rights to your likeness, you know, in perpetuity for whatever we shoot here. There's that. But there's, you know, that's rare that you're not going to uh, supplement that with real background, you know, in mm -hmm. a scene. You know, if you're walking down, you know, and it's Saturday Night Fever and you're in New York City, you're not paying every single person on the street, you know, you know, whatever the money is there, you know, you, in that example, but, but you will have, you know, your X amount of background artists, whether it's a hundred or 50 or whatever it is that you manipulate through the scenes, you know? So they will be close to the main actor. Yeah. That, or they'll be on the certain right. path that the actor knows he's walking through, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah. I was just curious sometimes it's, how do you figure out, okay, this scene we're going to do CG extras, this scene we're going to do a big crowd and we're going to pay them or well it's it's you know back in the day you used to do inflatable people in the stadiums mm -hmm. you know i never know you know about this yeah. or anything you know or you'd have like the cardboard cutouts right. you know and everything and it was before the the awesome visual effects that we have now you know it was it was easier there's a whole company called uh blow up people or or I can't remember the name of it. It was like, yeah, and they would come in and it would cost X amount of dollars for every person they put in on a wig and a, a wardrobe with dress tops only because there's no legs or sitting in stadium seats. But I'll give you an example. On this last pilot we did, we were in this mega church and we had our 550, 600 people and that church seats 4,000. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about visual effects, about, you know, tiling people is what it's called. Right. And people can look that up and you know, to get a deep conversation about tiling. But you would move groups of people around, photograph them in different various configurations, and then the visual effects guys would be able to take those shots and move them into different places in the pieces of the pie or the wedge of the stadium or theater or church, as it were, for this particular pilot. But the ADs were and the director were so good on this one that they took those 550 people, and th we had three cameras going, and they managed to get them in every single shot So and mixed up for every single shot that we did that I think we only ended up needing to do Visual effects in one shot oh, wow. in the deep background. So that was a huge savings and, a, and a made me, you know, bow down to the, uh, you know, greatness of that AD team and that director because uh, it certainly saved us a lot of money. Yeah, I think I did a similar shot in Mega Church and we, we hired like 300 extras and I ended up getting a, a VFX company to put a, li a LIDAR. La yeah, right? LIDAR. In, yeah, the, in, the, in the middle of the stage and it kind of captured the room. Yeah. Um, so... For, for for what people who are listening to this, if they don't know what LIDAR is, yeah. I don't, I, the exact initials it stands for, I couldn't tell you. But basically, <laughs> they're they're photographing and mapping the room, uh, you know, in in 
in on a computer system and on they have photographs of it and on a computer system so that when they get these images of these people in different groups they're able to place them in any kind of configuration they want to uh, in this particular example but uh, you know unless you can tell me you know no i think that's that's all i know uh i mean to me i think the when you dealing with hundreds or thousands of extras it's one of those fascinating movie making things that i think people don't you know, know, how you know did you do that? the Ten Commandments. You remember where you know Cecil B. DeMille was, you know, doing the same thing. Like Gandhi, he probably had, you know, I think a hundred thousand background or something like that. You know, and he had eleven cameras going. And there's the famous joke story where they're like, okay, they're rolling, and and uh, and they and they cut, and you know, camera one, did you get it, got it, CB. You know, camera two, did you get it, and then you know, camera ten says, ready whenever you are, CB. You know, like, you know, that kind of thing. There's w- with large groups, you can't, you know, you can't control everything. You do your best, you know, and uh, as long as you set up for the best possible safety and the best possible results for the shots that you've pre-planned out. I think, you know, that's, you know, you go at a certain point, you go with it. You know, um, I remember, you know, we had a thousand people in the park in Jurassic world and for the, you know, the, the part of getting them ready and the heat and all the other stuff, I, you know, I had to think about how, how do I keep these people comfortable? How do I keep these people safe? And, uh, you know, and what does that mean? And I was worried about heat stroke and heat exhaustion because you're outside. Like I said, it was about 108 degrees. Mm-hmm. It was probably August, uh, maybe j- end of July, beginning of August when we were shooting that. And uh, and it was just direct sun all day long for these people who didn't have a lot of protection from it. So, you know, you have to do everything. I had five ambulances on standby. I was worried about that. But I had these barrel uh, misters. I had... Um, Lots of water for everybody, bottles and whatnot. I had a whole team of like air conditioning people. Like I hired, it was funny. I was putting together my PA team, <laughs> and uh, we were in uh, in Hawaii, and I brought out two second second ads to start prepping for me about a month and a half ahead in in New Orleans while we were still in Hawaii and put everything together. And every day they'd call me and I'd say, get PAs for this, get PAs for that. And, and you know, originally, you know, we were thinking we could get by with 10 PAs. And I think by the end of, you know, us coming there and, and figuring out what we needed to put something together, I had a staff of 32, which is pretty big. But, you know, those 32 people are taking care of a thousand people. Right. In different, in, in as far as their health and welfare, you know, and, and, locking up and you know so they don't go places that are unsafe or cueing them so they can hear everything we had a voice of god system set up so that wasn't mainly the problem but you know it took that it took that little army of getting them ready and getting them safely on set you know it took that that's what it took mm-hmm. you know in those in, in that environment so you're talking about your ad staff when it comes to you know um Starting a project, how do you go about finding your your team and or I don't know as a as a second, first, or UPM or producer? <laughs> <laughs> well, pick maybe maybe a first AD. Let's say okay. a first AD. Well, you know, in finding my second, yeah, and second or second can, seconds. Or well, you know, it's funny because you know all any AD really wants is to have a, a team that they you know are part mm-hmm. of. You know what I mean? That right. they that like I said earlier, like like minded people that that work well together because that's the biggest. Um, benefit to you is if you have a regular group of people that understand each other in shorthand and are able to get in order to get things done efficiently and uh you know safely it's like i I always say so as a first i would hire people i've worked with before for the most part um people that i trusted people that i thought were smart and as driven as i was or as tenacious as i was when i was in those positions and because 
I really think like a second, second AD should be thinking like a key. A key should be thinking like a first, and a first should be thinking like a director. You're not doing those jobs, but if you're thinking like them, it allows you that room to be able to have the communication upwards, you know, mm-hmm. with those with those people above you while still doing, you know, your A-list a, a job, you know, your 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 best job uh, of the job you're hired for. And so, um, you know, I, you, you, it, like I said, there's a little level of like, as a second AD, I hired everybody. As a first AD, I hired the second, and then we'd meet the second second, you know, because I think as a first AD, that second second standing next to you on set, and whoever that girl or guy is, you want to be able to have a good rapport with them because otherwise it's going to be a long show, you know, <laughs> or it's not going to be a long show for them. You know what I mean? Right. So, so, you know, but past that, you leave your team to hire the people and hope that they get the right people in the right job. And all I like to do as a first is stop in and say hello and uh, welcome to the team sort of thing. Because I, like I said, I hire the people I trust. Mm-hmm. So I trust them to hire the right people. And if somebody isn't working out, we don't, we don't mess around with it. They're just, just you know, that's it. We'll just get a new person, you know, and that that's top to bottom, you know, uh, of the thing. So, um, and then there's some shows where, you know, there's some, some, if you have a couple seconds that you work with as a first, you know, they may, you may want to mix up the team a little differently because of who the director is, who the producers are, what the nature of the show is, you know, you might find that somebody's stronger, you know, in one way than another and so that might inform you a little bit to like you know go a different way or if you're in a new place where you're not bringing someone with you you know i i actually i don't think ad's are very good at interviewing i like to think i am because uh, i i i actually interview someone i don't just say oh you worked on this what was that like you know right. which is as a second or a second second i had that a lot of the time because you know you know some of it is like you want to know can you work five days or six days a week, 12 hours a day with this person, and you want to know that part of it. Mm-hmm. But the other part is, you know, what is their skill set and how do they react and how do they handle themselves in in crisis and in, you know, calm times. So, you know, I myself have, like, pretty deep conversations in my interviews, and I uh, it's funny, there's a first AD, um, really great guy, George Bamber, who I was helping him put his team together for a show I wasn't even doing, <laughs> but uh, for whatever circumstances, I was helping him interview his team. And uh, he had a great thing. It was almost like a Vanity Fair back page question at the end of everything. And I really loved this. And I, I actually uh, it, it took it from him. And I'll tell you guys what it is. Is And, and it could be anything, but his particular one was, and, there's, and he would preface it by saying, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but... I want you just to tell me what comes to your head, and I want you to uh, honestly tell me, how, you know, an answer to this. He says, "If you could be any kind of tree, you could be. What would you be, and why?" And out of all the people we interviewed, probably like fifteen people that day, not one person came up with the same kind of tree or the reason that they were that tree. And it really, and I ended up seeing these people and working with some of these people later on, and it was that characteristic that they described was so true of who they were. Oh, wow. It was really amazing, and uh, so thank you, George Bamber, for that. Because I kind of ask a question like that, if not, you know, if not that direct one too, you know. So, yeah, sometimes don't ask me what kind of tree I'd be though, because I'm not going to do that on a podcast. <laughs> sometimes the the interviews, you know, I've been in are just kind of anticlimactic. You know, like here's the job, and the bubble's yeah. like, well, do you want to know anything about me? <laughs> well, it's funny. That's true. Like Joel, I told you this morning, you know, when I walked in here, that I was uh, I was out golfing with Joel Nishimini, who's uh-huh. a is a great first AD and he's been working with me a lot on my shows and I used to work for him as his second and um, I went to interview with him on a movie uh, a UPM producer called me in to meet with him he didn't have a second and uh, 
it was for an Orlando Bloom movie called The Good Doctor. It was a small, small movie. And uh, I walked in the room, and I handed him my resume, and he put it down, and he goes, he goes, uh, you know, Samson says you're good. And I said, well, I don't know. I, you know, I've been doing it a long time. And he goes, he goes, okay. And I said, well, he's, I said, do you want to talk to me about the show or anything? And he goes, no. And he said, uh, I said, is there, do you have any questions for me? And I started talking about it, and he goes, he goes, he goes, do you want the job? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, you got the job. And I said, that's it? And he goes, that's it. And I said, well, how do you know? And he goes, I can tell. I got a, I got a good vibe right now. You walk in, I can tell. I don't need to know anymore. You know, you're doing what you're doing because you know what to do. So I'm not worried about your skill level. I just wanted to look at you, you know? I wanted to know that eye to eye, you know, look you in the eyes and, and see that you're the guy that's going to be able to do the job for me. I was like, okay. So I had like five words with them. I mean, it felt like it was like five sentences and uh, we ended up working together several times, you know, based <laughs> on that. So he was right. I was, no, I'm just joking. I don't know. It's good. So um, talking about um, working on set, working long hours, you can sometimes work with somebody that is difficult to work with or there's, um, you know, a, a situations escalated. How do you how do you go about de-escalating a situation or calming people down or getting things to come back to be level? Hmm. I could give you a specific story that would, uh, but I don't <laughs> think I'm allowed to. S- I, I think legally I can't say it on the air. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 interesting because I think the kind of people that ads become, uh, like I I used to say along like, uh, earlier in the podcast, I I said we're like bartenders. We're also like you know school teachers, and we're also like you know um, chicken herders. <laughs> you know, we're do we need to stop it? Okay, uh, we're also you know we, we we wear many many hats. You know, and um, I think one of the things that is great about being an AD and that I've found in a, a similar trait in most of the ADs that I've worked with is that, you know, for the most part, I won't say everybody is that we're people persons, you know, we're, we're very comfortable talking to people. We're very comfortable listening to people. And I think listening is a very key component of, um, understanding, you know, situations. I have a couple mantras I live by and one of them is a two word mantra. It's, it's, it's very simple. It's gain perspective. So, um, and the other one, just to finish it off and then go backwards for a second, was, is be kind for every soul you meet is engaged in a great battle because you don't know what's going on within anyone. I don't know when you show up on a set if you're, you know, your brother just died, you know, I don't know if, you know, your son just graduated in uh, high school and got into the college you wanted to. I don't know anything about your life mm-hmm. past what you share with me or if I've worked with you before. And every day I have 250 people, some of them the same and some new every day on set. And a matter of fact, being an assistant director, we're the only department that works with people that may have never been on set before and have to direct them to do action on set. Uh, having never been in the business before, you know, and these are the kind of people you have to work with. So you have 250 different personalities and you have to know how to work within that. And I think most ADs have a very calm sense about them. I think, you know, you know, in, in times of, um, crisis or escalated things, they're the, they're the people, everyone looks to the first assistant director to give direction and to lead. I mean, any good one they do, at least. And I think there's, you know, there's instances where it's it's easy to l- let people say what they have to say in whatever way they want to say it and have them take a breath and step back from the, and get the perspective of, of whatever the uh, whatever the situation is. Um, 
I think you need to be a chameleon and you need to adapt to different people. So, you know, sometimes it's some, sometimes, you know, I just want to hear people say, copy that, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to be heard, <laughs> you know, in, in my own personal life, you know, like I don't want to have a discussion about it. I don't want to, you know, whatever it is. I just want people to say, copy that. I'm going to execute the plans you just gave me, not, you know, and without any like discussion. And there's a lot of time, you know, that's, that comes up with everybody. And so sometimes people get backed into corners or get put into situations where they didn't think they'd be in that situation or put in that corner or feel like they're being disregarded, which is a huge thing. I mean, tone plays a huge part of it, but but you remind people, however you do it, whatever your tricks are, that you're all working towards the same common goal, which is which is servicing the movie. You know, I'm I'm there for the movie. I'm there for the director. I'm there for the movie. I'm there for the studio. I'm there for to make it happen. And so, in facilitating that forward movement movement of everybody, you know, sometimes you get people that just need to be heard or just need their question answered. And when you disregard them or don't listen to them or don't hear their questions, then it that's what escalates. So, you know, if it gets to that point, you just need to get to a point where you can either get to the point where you can do that for them or you need to remove them from the situation. And sometimes you can't if it's certain people and you just need to let it play out a little bit as long as it's not compromising the movie or the safety of people in the movie, you mm -hmm. know? Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think, you know, I've been in situations where it's, how long is it going to take for this actor to be done in, in makeup and the makeup artist gets upset because yeah. you asked them that question. So it's, it's how do you... Well, <coughs> let's use that as a very specific mm -hmm. example. When I was uh, running base camp, and that's for those of you that don't know what that is, that's the, the production person that's in charge of getting the actors through hair, makeup, and wardrobe and getting them to the set on time, you know, ready to go. And so if you're the base camp PA or the base camp AD or the base camp trainee, whatever it is on your show... Um, you know, there's a way where you have a first aid, you're the eyes and ears of the first AD in base camp because they're not there. Sometimes you're miles away. Sometimes this is over a phone, you know, and they got to get in a shuttle and get there and you're the only link. And so when you're not in communication to whatever degree, whether it's with the second, second or the first or someone on set and they're waiting, uh, that can get very tense sometimes. And I always tell my team this ahead of time. I'll like to make a show in front of the director because the director might be the one who's impatient. And you're like, hey, get these people, you know, so they see you doing something. But in reality, you, you know, you know, it's going to take what it's going to take. And you just want them to be able to bring their level down, you know, that way. Other times when I was on the receiving end of a base camp thing, being asked every five minutes, are they ready yet? Are they ready yet? Are they ready yet? I would only ask every 10th time because if a makeup artist tells me it's going to take 20 minutes, and every time you interrupt me, it's going to add three minutes to it or whatever it is. I'm not going to interrupt every 20 minutes. I will check in every, if, if it's getting down there, say, hey, they just said camera's now ready. Or make up whatever excuse, you know. Right. Or just say they're going to move on to something else unless you can give a very accurate time of what it is. You know, there's different ways of, you know, you usually as a base camp person, you have your strong bonds with not just the talent, uh, the the actors, but with the hair and makeup and wardrobe people, which you also have to consider as creative, you know, first team people too. And uh, they're artists, you know, they don't mm -hmm. like to be rushed, but sometimes you have to tell them when they need to be rushed, you know. <laughs> they have to still follow the game plan, you know. I don't know, once again, if I answered that. No, I think it's good. Okay. Um, so when we're talking about, um, you know, it's 20, not 2019, we're kind of in a modern time period. What What type of technology or software do you like to use or have used recently that 
that's helped you in, in your in the films you worked on? Well, I mean, as a unit production manager and producer, I'm you know s- still using Movie Magic budgeting and scheduling, uh, and I use Excel. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not a luddite. I mean, I like to turn pages in a book. I don't like to read those online. <laughs> you know, like but uh, but you know, my phone is my is as I'm moving up the chain, so to speak. The phone has become a primary function tool for me because as a UPM and as a producer, it's all about the conversations that I'm having with people and kind of to keep them on budget or, you know, trying to solve the problems that, you know, that you don't realize are coming up. So for, I'll give an, I'll give an example. Like as a first AD, I might go to the UPM and the, you know, the director says, well, it's a TV show and say, Hey, we need, you know, they wrote 10 elephants in this scene, you know, on Monday, I need those 10 elephants, you know, this is a week away. And the UPM and the producer may say, well, we don't have a budget for 10 elephants. We know what's in the script. We can get you six, you know, whatever you come up with, right? <laughs> and then as a first city, you go away. You know, you tell the director, we've got six of them coming. Don't worry about it. It's the one you want with the big ear. Yeah, you got that elephant. Don't worry. You know, and then you go to set. And on Monday, when you show up, there's six elephants there. That's all you think. And then you shoot your day with those elephants. And then you go home and, you know, you move to the next location. And you don't think about it anymore. And as the UPM, I'm sitting there and say, okay, a, where am I getting these elephants? Who's training the elephants? Who's taking care of them? How am I getting them here? Who's going to clean up after them? Who's going to feed them? Where do they have to be? You know, and all the hundred things that go with a first aid that just says, I need elephants. It's a whole different world that you don't realize. And you you learn a whole part of the crew that any AD listening to this, I promise you, I guarantee 100% that you have no idea who your rigging crews are. You have no idea who these people are that keep the show running. Uh, you know, they're like the people, you know, at night that the, the put everything together so you show up and you can do everything. And as a unit production manager, you get to know these off-production crew in very intimately in the sense of how they budget, how they move, what they require. And that goes from, you know, grip, rigging grips, rigging electrics, construction, you know, set dressing. You know, these are all huge things. And truthfully, you know, those are the departments that can throw the budget off you know, uh, one way or another very easily in one day mm-hmm. if it's not done, if it's not kept track of and done correctly or, 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 or with, you know, a, a precision skill. So for a unit production manager and a producer, those are very important departments that as an AD, you don't know who they are. Do you remember any of those guys? No. And this is something you learn when you, ma- when you start to go up right. there that you have to trust the shooting crew is going to do what they do. And now you have to take care of everything so that when they show up, it's ready for them, you know? So in, in, like-minded a second ad gets all the elements ready which is the actors and you know make sure that that all the specific you know additional people labor for the next day are are there and aware of what's going on you know ahead of time they're the they're the front runner to that but as a upm and a producer you're working with your team to make sure that everything else exists for them you know and goes away afterwards when, when you're thinking about the hundred different tasks involved in whatever project though is is there any software or anything yeah it's called a it's use? called a little notebook and a pen <laughs> you know i uh that's what i i mean look i make my own excel spreadsheets and stuff right. or i'll make my own i'll write my memos you know or whatever but uh you know i'll sit in a conference room and i'll take notes i have my little notebook but i have a budget you know mm-hmm. and the budget dictates you know to almost to the only degree, but to a large degree of how we're going to handle something. And so I have my notebook that has those pages in it, you know, that is, you know, and when I'm making that, I make everyone's deals, you know, before we start a show. So I know, you know, 
what we what it takes you know how many people they're going to need or, or whatnot and we get the, you know the breakdowns in the beginning of a show from each of those department heads saying this is how many people i need on these days for this kind of stuff and you have to monitor that and watch that and make sure that they're staying in line with that you know handle it so for me it's a Nope, a little notepad and a pen, and I have a notebook with my budget in it. You know, if I'm at my desk, I've got my computer. But is there a certain type of notebook that you like per se, or is it just a uh, just whatever? You know, like in different countries, I've I've found some in Colombia that I really like, <laughs> that I that I bought a whole bunch of that have like a little strap around it that's right. the, the size of my little half the size of my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's it. And I keep a red pen and a and my nice pen that I sign all the checks with. Uh, and that's my tools that I carry with me every day, you know, because if you're going to sign really ex- big checks, you want a nice pen. Right. <laughs> um, one of our last questions is, um, we're running out of time. We, we, when you are working as an AD or UPM, you're, you're almost, in a way, kind of leading the, the crew and, and the cast, you know, in, in safety. You're leading them, you know, towards efficiency. So, so people are seeing you as a leader, somebody that's... Um, got their best interest in mind. What are some books or things you've read over the years that have helped you in in your leadership? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'll tell you the early ones, and it's going to sound maybe off, maybe not, is um, Sun Tzu's The Art of War. So there's a book from, you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, He was a Chinese general that... uh, came up with the, the, the rules of, of, of war. And I know it sounds like, what does that have to do with anything? But like chapter five or whatever the chapter is, is a note where it says an army travels on its stomach. And that's absolutely true because, you know, you have to keep people well taken care of is the general idea behind that. So I always make sure I have a lot of food for my crew. I, t- <laughs> I get trucks in all the time. I have a big craft service budget because it helps them perform better. And, uh, and ultimately that's not a huge expense, uh, that we can work out in a budget that, that everyone feels taken care of. And when people feel taken care of, they work harder for you. Um, there's some, there's like, I I think there's some out of date books that don't apply anymore, but if you want to learn about it, being an assistant director, there's a, there's a book that, um, that was written, um, I'm, uh, every time I do it, I'm like, it's called, uh, it's, it's, it's written by Jerry Ziesmer and it's called ready when you are Mr. Coppola, oh, Mr. Spieler, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mr. Crow. And I worked with him. I did almost famous oh, with wow. him and I actually n- went to, I, I knew him for many years right. and, uh, he's, uh, he's retired now. He's an o- older gentleman at this point, but he was the first AD on everything from apocalypse now to 1941 to bloody, uh, you know, s- s- uh, uh, bloody Sunday, you know, like a hundred, a hundred of the biggest movies from the seven sixties, seventies and eighties and nineties, you know, and, and he did Jerry Maguire. He's the, he's the coach. He's always acts in all his, he's, the, he's the one, uh, uh, in Apocalypse Now, that says terminate with extreme prejudice. He's the guy in Jerry Maguire that claps his hands when Cuba Gooding Jr. is knocked out there. You know, wake up, wake up. You know, right. that guy. He's in all of the movies too, but he's a, he's a great AD, like one of the best in the world ever. And uh, he has a book that talks about being an assistant director, and it's really great. It's a it's a good resource if you haven't seen that. And there's a, a there's a publicist uh, or a former publicist. I think he still does this. Uh, his name is Rob Harris, and um, he wrote a book, and I, I got to find it, and I will get you the information so you can tell your podcast listeners what it is, about a year in the life of working on Gladiator, 
uh, A Perfect Storm and two other movies in one solid year th- straight through. And the stories that he tells on it are really interesting about just the, the life of, of a gypsy filmmaker, you know, of how we are when we go from show to show to show to show. Um, for the actual mechanics of being an AD, um, you know, there's... There's some below-the-line books uh, that you can get. I don't know if the scheduling ones that are out there are still, you know, up-to-date enough to, to, to recommend them. I did a webinar myself with a uh, website called Stage 32, and it's called The Art of Mechanics of Being an Assistant Director. Uh, that can, you know, that webinar can teach you a lot more about the scheduling and breaking down. We actually go through a couple scenes in Jurassic World specifically, and you get, you know, stuff sent to you so That's that you cool. can follow along. And... Um, and I also have, you know, a couple other webinars that are free on there, question and answers that people ask me about being ADs that you can just click onto on that stage 32 and listen to or Google it and it might just come up, uh, you know, my name under, you know, the art of mechanics of being an AD. And then, um, you know, there's uh, there's nothing like uh, talking to people who've been doing it for a long time like this, you know. So if you're out there and you want to be an AD, um, you know, find an, find somebody, you know, that knows somebody. People are pretty accessible and you have your top 10 questions, you know, ready to ask them. And, you know, they'll, they'll teach you. I love imparting knowledge, if I can, you know, about certain things. I mean, I don't feel like we even scratch the surface of, of what it is we do. And, um, you know, because, like I said, there's so many variables that it, every day is a different day. And, you know, and, and so there's different ways to handle different things. But um, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I have a list that's not with me here that I'll give you a couple so you can, if you have a website that goes along with the podcast, you can put it up there and, and tell people what to do, where, to, where to get it. Yeah, we can put it on the show notes. Yeah. Um, cool. So any any last parting advice to, you know, f- future filmmakers that, you know, are interested in this AD route? Or any route. Or yeah. Any route, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will leave you with this, this simple, simple bit of information. You have to believe in yourself more than anybody else because there's a thousand other people that want to do it. And if you have the tenacity and the belief that you'll succeed, almost like you're manifesting it, and you give yourself 100%, 100% of the time and willing and willing to start, you know, and work your way up, whatever that takes, whether that's a second job, whether that's interning, whether that's just being a background artist and getting, you know, yourself on a set so you can watch how it works. Whatever that is, wherever you are, you have to do the most you can do all the time. And I will say one other thing. Never make a good cup of coffee. Do everything else well, but don't make a good cup of coffee because they'll only ask you to make coffee <laughs> for them from that point on. So I was told that a long time ago and I made terrible coffees. So I did everything else really well, but I'd never made a good cup of coffee. I also am really bad at making coffee. So I will. So you'll, you'll go far. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody wanted to follow you, are you on social media? I am on no social media. Isn't that so crazy? So how are they going to follow you? Uh, they can go to my IMDb, IMDb page and see what movies and TV shows I'm working on. But uh, I, 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 my Dog has an Instagram account, Blueberry Roberts. There you go. That's it. But oh, it's only my go. dog. There you go. <laughs> and my wife handles that. So, yeah, I don't have any social media accounts at all. So, unfortunately. That's okay. Uh, there you go. <laughs> You're good with your, your notebook. and. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am a Luddite, right? <laughs> hey, thanks, Jason. No, so much. thank you for having me. Really I appreciate I it. I hope I helped people out there learn a little more about what we do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please visit us on iTunes, leave a comment, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you'd like to stay up to date with what we're doing, you can visit the blog at assistantdirecting.com and sign up for our monthly e-newsletter where we will notify you of the new episodes 
and highlight interesting technology and software in the film industry.